Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode of Inside Fashion is brought to you by Klarna. Klarna lets you shop now and pay later, interest-free, at leading online retailers. To add Klarna to your store, visit klarna.com. Kids all around the world want all the same stuff and there's not channels through which they can get it. I knew there was an opportunity. We have the product that everybody wants. We have it in quantities that we need to drive scale and we don't need to fit into any of the boxes of traditional retail or traditional wholesale. How did um, you build awareness, you know, starting from zero? We thought we were gonna open up the doors and it was gonna be gangbusters from day one, which is horribly unrealistic. We had incredibly strong supply side relationships and we had to really focus on the consumer side. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. This week on Inside Fashion, I sit down with John McFeeders, one of the founders of Stadium Goods, which was recently acquired by Farfetch for $250 million. Now, Stadium Goods is not the only player in this market. The sneaker resale market is really heating up, and there are several other players, including Goat, StockX, and Grail, that are all going after this burgeoning industry. I sat down with John McFeeders to learn his story about setting up Stadium Goods, to learn about the sneaker resale market and whether we're in a bubble, and to also understand his decision to sell to Farfetch. So here's John McFeeders, Inside Fashion. Well, hello, John McFeeders. Yep. 
How are you? I'm pretty good, man. You just said this is your first one-on-one -on -one interview since uh, the big announcement. Yep. Or just before it is. Christmas. Just before Christmas. How are you feeling? feeling? I'm feeling great. Energized, you know, a lot going on. Um, but pretty, pretty happy in general for how things are going and very hopeful for what's to come. Great. Um, you know, before we dive into the Farfetch acquisition and all that stuff, I, I did want to start back at the beginning yeah. and, you know, to, to learn a little bit about your background. For sure. Um, you don't really come from a conventional fashion background. So I, do you, I, do I, you want to talk about how you ended up doing this thing? Yeah, well, I mean, there were a lot of different steps in the path, you know, and I, I think before everything else, I was, I was a very... New York type character like I always had a lot of different things that I was trying to do a lot of different um, whether it be hustles or, or side businesses that I was trying to jump off um, but I've been in the New York scene for quite some time and I think it, it took on a, a bunch of different forms um, both with startups and things that were kind of dabbling in streetwear during different parts of my life and then around the time that I turned 30 I took an agency job at a brand marketing agency here in New York um, where I was essentially a project manager, account manager for a handful of consumer brands. Um, I was doing work for Tangeray, uh, Heineken, EA Sports, uh, th these types of brands. Um, and what that, what that really taught me was one, that I was just a really strong project manager in general and I could move things forward on a timeline and understand the work and then also manage a lot of the expectations that came along with that from a brand standpoint. Got to touch a lot of brand marketing from events, um, early days of social content, early days of editorial uh, as it related to brands. And that, that gave me my first real understanding of how communications worked in a lot of ways. And I ended up doing a lot of work for Nike at the time. Okay. Um, so that, that represented a good three, four years of, of work, probably like from 29 to 33. Um, at some point I said, wow, this is great. I had, a, I had a great experience. I decided that it wasn't really for me to be on the brand marketing side. And I, I stepped away at the time to uh, go work at Flight Club, um, another consignment operation in New York. Um, and that was very relationship driven. I'd been around in the mix, seeing what was happening with that business from early days. Um, and, and I doubled down and I ended up running business development there for a good number of years. Um, Learned a lot about e-com and, and different facets of, of the sneaker business from that side. It was a lot different from, than from working with Nike on the brand side. And yeah, at some point, you know, I, I, I had a baby on the way. I had a lot of things that I wanted to do and I realized that that wasn't the right fit. So uh, my partner Jed and I, uh, we, had, we had worked together on another project uh, that was a, a mobile technology product for retail. And we had an opportunity to just kind of step away and figure out what our next move was going to be. And that was when we decided to hunker down and plot and de decide what the next move was going to be. Right. So, you know, being involved with a, a flight club early on when this like sneaker resale market was kind of first starting to develop some structure, how would you say the market has changed since that time? I mean, in my mind, it's changed tremendously on a bunch of levels. The, the way that brands publish product into the market has changed, the way that people hone in on what the hot product is, the way that hype is a driving force in the industry. A lot of this has shifted tremendously from those days. I also think, in general, 
And one of the things we were really looking to build upon with stadium goods as we finally decided that we were going to go in this direction was aftermarket and what it means uh, to buy something that's not from a traditional retailer or a brand directly used to be something that was a lot different and it lacked a lot of the consumer trust and that comfort level that comes along with um, buying goods on, on Madison Ave or, or buying them through, through luxury retail. Um, and that now, you fast forward to where we are and a big part of our mission was to really clean up what we saw the aftermarket as being and providing that level of trust and providing the right level of aesthetics and presentation to coincide with that and I, I think it's totally different um, in terms of how people buy these products and how they look at, at where to find them and, and how to know that they're getting the right product from the right people. So, you know, uh, Stadium Goods, I guess you and Jed said, okay, you know, we're going to set out and do this thing on their own, our own. Like, tell us about that. So tell us about how you, how you started to, like, think about launching this new business. Yeah, you know, so f for me, and I've, I've, I'm, I'm really lucky in that I, I've, I've known Jed for 20 years. Okay. We have a long history, long before us being business partners. We've, we've, we know each other from life. We know each other from then working together in, um, in different roles. Um, we've, seen, we've seen, for better and for worse, we've seen each other through thick and thin over a long period of time. And I think for, for me, that was the real blessing, was finding out who my business partner was going to be, both then and going forward. Um, and that, that was the first key thing. It's like, all right, I know, I know Jed's my partner. I know that we're going to figure out what our path is. And to be honest, when we set out, before we even knew what Stadium Goods was going to be, we just, we just knew that we wanted to start a business together. And it didn't and necessarily even have to be. It didn't necessarily this. have to be this business. And it, I'll tell you a funny story. We, we actually planned on launching a diamond marketplace okay. prior to Stadium Goods. And we, we had um, some good relationships in the diamond district. We were kind of planning on making a play that was like a rare carrot meets Blue Nile uh, sort of thing. And we, we got pretty close to pulling the trigger on that. Thankfully, we didn't. Um, but, but yeah, it was, for me, it was a lot more about partner dynamic at the time and, and knowing that I had someone I could really trust to rock with and then digging around on what we thought the diamond play was going to be. We realized, why are we going to a market that we know nothing about? We need to stay true to a market we understand, things that are relevant to us, things that we already have experience and expertise in, and that was really what caused us to sort of hone back in on, on stadium goods as, as the next direction. And it started as a store, the store? Well, the store and the, the website launched about a week apart. Okay. Um, so we, we top-loaded all that together. We thought, we, I really believe that, that retail plays an incredibly important role in our space because it, it lets people know who you are, contextualizes the experience, um, it helps you build that personality of a brand. And so, so we, w we went for both at the same time. And I, I think it, it ended up being a lot more daunting than we anticipated. You know, it's a lot easier to launch a website than opening retail and doing both at once. But it really became a defining piece of who we are now as a brand. And I think it was the right move. How did um, you build awareness, you know, starting from zero? So, you know, I always thought that I knew there was an opportunity. I knew, I knew that these products would sell if we presented them the right way. I knew if we 
we, we did the brand building that we needed to, that we would be able to cover that ground and communicate it. And I think, candidly, we thought we were going to open up the doors and it was going to be gangbusters from day one, which is horribly unrealistic. Um, you know, literally to open the doors here on Howard Street, and if you're familiar with the strip, the strip is night and day from what it was three and a half years ago. We opened the doors expecting people to come and it was a ghost town. There was, there was nothing here from a retail standpoint. And I, I looked back, um, recently I looked back just to kind of understand the trajectory of what our first announcement day's orders look like. And we had, we had 10 orders that day on, on the dot com, you know? And the next day there were five orders. It, it, it definitely, did, it definitely didn't, didn't speed along at launch the way that we thought it would. And we had to fight through some tough times in those, in those early months to really build that awareness. So, you know, five orders on the second day. Like, when did... So what did you do? Like, the, the, the store's a ghost town. The store's a ghost town. So, in, in two interesting points. So, one, our store is, is two separate retail experiences. You have the consumer side, where you shop for products, and then you have the marketplace side, where people drop stuff off. The marketplace side had a line out the back when we opened, and we had a lot of relationships. A lot of people were really excited to bring uh, product to us to sell. So we had awareness with our seller base that was more than we thought. We thought we were going to have to focus more on driving that seller support than the consumer side, and it was actually inver inverted. Um, so with no, with no one coming in the store, basically what we did was we turned our retail location into a content hub. We started broadcasting from there. We started doing more in the way of video, more in the way of neighborhood networking, kind of hosting early events in the space. Um, literally everything we could to just cut hair in our own barbershop and, and drive that awareness. And a lot of that content, a lot of the personalities behind that are, st are still a big part of what our, um, what our content strategy is today. And that, that really helped to get the name out. Um, bring in that first batch of customers, started getting on the map, especially from a tourist standpoint for retail. Um, it takes some time to cut through that clutter to, to where tourists know when they come to New York that they should be checking out your store. And I think a lot of our content really helped to, to pave the way and drive that. Yeah, in a marketplace model, I guess, it's critical to have the liquidity in that market. So you have you have to find that sweet spot of like supply and demand. Yeah. And, and th everyone that's ever started a marketplace business, that's what they have to, that's what they struggle with. A lot of times it's top heavy in a direction and you have to pull it through one way or another. Um, so we realized early on that we had incredibly strong supply side relationships and we had to really focus on the consumer side. Okay. And, and driving that awareness. Right. So when did things take a turn for the better? <laughs> um, I mean, I would say kind of like post-holiday. Holiday, uh, holiday in uh, 2015, we started seeing some good traffic, but it was still very early days. It was really coming into 2016 when we started coming into our own. Everything was on an uptick. The, the online traffic and transactions started working. And I think the, 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 other, the other piece of it is that we've always taken a really aggressive approach towards locking in partnerships. Um, our, our, our first partnership was with eBay, um, so selling our products through, through eBay, but also finding unique ways that we could market through eBay with them and collaborating on whether it's branded content stuff or events. Um, on a timeline, we've had a couple of really interesting partnerships that we rolled out. In August 2016, we rolled out a partnership with Tmall to sell into China, which at the time, it was just very early days for someone of our size to be able to sell through Tmall, and that was, that was a huge 
moment for us too. What motivated that? Um, you know, I, I, I spent some time in China and some time in Asia when I was younger and I, there are a couple, there are a couple pieces of it. It's, it boils down to two things. One, understanding the size of the market and knowing what the opportunity looks like because I, I had seen firsthand some of what was going on in Asia. But very early on, and I've told this story before, we had one customer come in that was from China, from the mainland, and they bought about $10,000 in uh, Jordans, in random Jordan product. And literally, they were like, hey, here's the cash. Do you have boxes? I'm shipping it back to China. Like, I, I kind of came out from the office behind the register where I was sitting at the time and picked the guy's brain for a little bit, and he was, he was purely buying to take them back and sell them. Um, and that was, that was one of the light bulb moments where it was like, okay, you know, I wonder how hard it would be to figure out our path to China. And, um, and yeah, so, so we, we, with that in mind, we, we kind of set out to lock in Tmall. So since then, you've started eBay and Amazon and other outlets, yep. other platforms. That's been a core part of your growth strategy is to take the product and put it on these like massive yeah. platforms. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of our strategy and something that we see as an innovation because people that are coming to sell products through us, they get access to all that opportunity. So if you're a seller, you have a pair of shoes, you want to sell it, you want to bring it in and find a buyer for it, that buyer could really exist anywhere in the world. And on a timeline, as we, as we grow and expand in the future, we're looking to add more of those types of opportunities. So it was eBay, Amazon, Tmall, um, Farfetch, through our, through our new partnership there, uh, even, even apps sometimes like the fancy. Like we've had, a, we've had really good success at that, and it's something that we're looking to build upon as we, as we craft our strategy for the future. And then at some point you decided to take on some money, some investment. Yep. How, how did that decision, because you guys, had you guys bootstrapped the whole thing? No. So we had, a, we had an angel round. Okay. Uh, it was about a million dollars that we raised prior to us opening the door. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time that sounded like a lot of money, but I mean, as, as someone who's in business yourself, you, you, know, you know how far you can go with a million dollars. It's not that far. But we really juiced that money down and, and, and got every single piece of value out of it that we could. Um, and that was, that was an angel round, that was, that was pre-launch. Um, then we, we closed a round with, with Forerunner, um, Series A with Kirsten. And I mean, they're, they're incredible. Kirsten, the churning group, um, that, was our, that was our Series A. And yeah, that, that, that put some wind in our sails and got, us on, on, got a lot of our fundamentals in a better place. Um, and then we, we just really doubled down and kept rocking. And then um, at some point we uh, connected with LVMH, um, which was one of, the, one of the most humbling experiences. How did that happen? How did they approach you? You know, we, 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 got, we got introduced through a couple different people that we knew that we had been working with. And I think it was at a time when everyone, or a lot of different people were looking at the aftermarket space. Um, LVMH had taken an interest in, in sneakers and streetwear and in the aftermarket and we were it was kind of like a little bit of right time right place and then them understanding the fun, like the basics of what we were doing and seeing seeing how our business was developing understanding our strategies and the way that we we look at things and like we've always we've always really focused on on premium aesthetics kind of crafting this this luxury brand as we see it and i, th I think that that really resonated and it helped us to 
to get where we needed to Did be. Did you on pitch that piece. to Mr. Arno? No, we didn't. Um, it was it was through uh, LVMH Ventures. Okay, got it. Yeah. So you know, fast forward a little bit, and you know, it's the beginning of 2019 as we sit down here <laughs> on Howard Street. But last year, it seemed like was the year that this market really started getting some serious attention from investors and from the industry. Um, you know, the, the sneaker market is, is, and this kind of after-sale market is yep. just really heating up. Like, what do you think are the fundamental drivers that have created this kind of frenzy? So there's a, there's a couple different pieces of it. I think first and foremost, and I'd definitely be interested if you agree with me on this, but for, for the longest time, brands and retailers have put consumers in buckets. They've said, you're the high-end luxury customer, you're the handbag customer, you're the athleisure customer. And I think all of those worlds have, have kind of gotten mashed up. And co consumers don't want to be put into those buckets. They want to wear what they want, they want to like what they want, those things can be blended together. Those traditional rules of fashion and retail don't really apply anymore. And I, I think that's, that's a huge piece of it because that's part of why sneakers and streetwear are seeing such success at this moment is because it commingles with everything else that's going on. And I think that's, that's one piece. I, I also think that consumers don't, they're not as into the release cadence of what's being published by the brands in the way that they used to be. Consumers are super savvy. They want exactly what they want when they want it. They're not like, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's Tuesday in May and you have a story to tell me, so let me buy it. They're, they're going to they're gonna really decide what they're interested in on their own based on whether celebrities are into something or, or the way tastes are changing or what's happening in different regions. And it speaks to needing a much more efficient model of distribution. So I think for us, we've, we've been able to take advantage of those, those two broader shifts because we have the product that everybody wants. We have it in quantities that we need to drive scale. And we don't need to fit into any of the boxes of traditional retail or traditional wholesale to consumer distribution. Hmm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. 
So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You used the word publish just now when you talked about the way brands release product. And I've, I've actually never in my career in fashion, which isn't that long, but you know, long enough, ever heard someone talk about publishing product. Yeah, well. <laughs> you want to talk about that a bit? Well, you know, I, I, maybe that just comes from all my, all my, my content editorial focused stuff that I've done but in my mind brands they have a release calendar the same way that there's an editorial calendar the way that products get created and dropped into the market it's always through these sort of set strategies of distribution there's there'll be the tiers of product there'll be the the really hot sought after stuff that's that drives interest for press that's like impossible to get there'll be stuff that's in greater quantities for the the limited edition boutiques and retailers to drive heat and hype and energy in different directions. And then there's like the mass distribution. And like clockwork, these things exist on a timeline in the cadence and they're essentially published. You know, that's not so different from the way people talk about a traditional fashion house, not necessarily in terms of the drop schedule or publishing schedule, but in terms of the hierarchy of having, you know, the equivalent of your like impossible to get shoe is haute couture. And then the equivalent of your like high-priced, you know, scarce heat product is, you know, high-end ready-to-wear. Yep. And then the equivalent of kind of your kind of more mass product is like the licensing product of beauty and sunglasses yep. and stuff. So it, it's it's a pyramid too. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it has to be, in a way. Like one of the questions that I, I get asked a lot is so. A lot of people talk about the ticket business and how Madison Square Garden can raise the price of the front row seats and kind of capture what's happening in the aftermarket. But fashion doesn't, isn't really part of it. It can't be distributed in that same way. There has to be product that people can get their hands on. It has to exist at retail prices. And that really hot, sought-after stuff that drives press, brands are, are, are bound to, to, to maintaining that scarcity model. Like, they, they have to keep everyone excited and, and looking for, for these sort of Easter eggs from a product standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, I mean, it, it, it keeps it really interesting and, and keeps everything flowing. Okay, so for those of us who are less informed, yep. can you give us a case study of 
kind of the perfect release strategy of a real brand in a real life scenario that that we can learn from? I mean, there, there's there's a ton of different release strategies, and I, I could I'm trying to think which one which one comes to mind the most. One one there's a really interesting time when we were when we were opening, and I, I, instead of going to like the Virgil Abloh ten or any of these, I'm going to talk about the uh, the Jordan to Adidas shift that took place about three years ago, and in my mind, what you had was Jordan brand that had basically been the biggest brand in the aftermarket since its inception was putting too much product into the market. And, and, and essentially you had general release product and, and hot releases that were sitting on shelves that weren't moving. And it was, it was because the brand kept making more and more product, kind of trying to raise the output. And Adidas at the time started creating, and a lot of it's kind of tied into the Kanye West movement and what was happening with the Yeezys, but they started creating new silhouettes, new styles that the world had never seen. It was the, the Ultra Boost and the NMD are the ones that really come to mind. And it created huge change because you had, you had Jordan brand that, that had, had lost a little bit of steam and there was too much supply. And at the same time, you had younger kids that were really into sneakers that were, they were exhausted too about hearing these sort of retro stories, retro product stories, the lineage of, of where the shoe came from and what my dad wore and what my uncle wears, they were looking for something new. And Adidas at the time hit on, hit on something really special with those new styles so that the younger generation felt like they were part of something. And I think that sort of set off more of a, a, a healthier ecosystem in a lot of ways because at the time it was really dominated by Jordan. And then from there, you see Jordan sort of pull back and then retrench and get their strategy right. You see. Um, Adidas figuring out new ways to release product and doubling down both on, on, in the Yeezy direction, but um, doing a lot with Pharrell, a lot with like the human race stuff and a bunch of other new styles. Like, like that sort of kicked off our, our current era of drop culture, which, which is a lot more tit for tat, a lot more uh, of these energy pushes that end up driving things in different directions very quickly. Interesting also that the the key kind of cultural driver or you know popular cultural driver of the the products moved from sports to music and that that's a that's a huge shift and it's like what are kids today really interested in i mean entertainers are like the athletes of today you know that's that's where kids go to get their references on style their ideas around taste and i mean sports is always going to be a huge influence but I think that shift is, 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 is a huge shift in, in tons of ways. And even now you see, um, like even, even like Virgil Abloh, someone that was very much, very much came from that gravitas of Kanye's world, or someone like a Travis Scott that's really driving things in a unique direction, like Adidas, Nike, anyone that's really in, in footwear is, is looking at entertainers in a different way than before in terms of driving, the, in terms of driving that, that interest. Mm -hmm. One could also argue that the, you know, global reach of these entertainers um, has contributed to a sneaker bubble. And people are asking, like, is this all really sustainable? You know, how big can this market really be? I'm sure you've had to answer that question a lot. I mean, when, when people challenge you on the scale of this market, the sustainability of the market, you know, what's your, you're in this business, yeah. so you obviously believe in it, but yeah. like, 
Help us understand your point of view. So there's a couple different answers to that question. And I I don't believe that there's a bubble, right? In my mind, so first first off, you look at at how demand has changed and how demand is, is centered around quantities that are a lot more limited in scale. It's more like a shift towards interesting products and what drives the attention and a scarcity that needs to be maintained. So it's, I, think, I, think, I, th- I think what was at one time an interest in mass market products is now an interest in more specialized products, things that are harder to get, things that are more sought after and differentiated. Secondarily, internationally, it's still tremendously inefficient. Like the way that we can sell product into China or the way that, the way that as an example, Farfetch transacts into Russia, into, into economies that are very underserviced by the brands. Kids all around the world want all the same stuff and there's not channels through which they can get it. Like, that, to, to me, that's, that's a huge part of the opportunity that's, that's still there to be unpacked. And people aren't all of a sudden gonna say, hey, I wanna wear the exact same shoe that everyone else is wearing mm-hmm. and go back to that mass market so model. So help me understand, like, I understand why someone like you in the resale market is interested in the scarcity and the kind of controlled distribution because that helps drive the prices and the, the, the growth. But you know, why, why, you know, apart from you know, Nike and Adidas wanting to follow that pyramid-like model, like ultimately they need to drive a mass product yeah. at volume, right? So how do you close the loop on that? But so in, in my mind, it's... It's not like a single cast of characters. It's this evolving landscape. And as things go up and increase in interest, other things fall. And there's opportunity in all directions if you're playing in the aftermarket. We're not bound to price discount strategies. We're not bound to retail distribution strategies. We essentially operate outside of a system. Um, And and, and in that, there's tremendous opportunity. So I I always think there's going to be, in that changing cast, there's going to be new tips of the spear from a hype and interest standpoint that, that is, is always going to play its role in terms of carrying interest. But that doesn't mean that the other products aren't selling and that there's not tons of volume. Right. So you're, in a way, your interest with the brand or the brands is aligned because they're creating those scarce products to create desire across the yep. pyramid. And you're just capitalizing on the fact that those scarce products are Scarce. Yeah, well, and, well that, and that's part of it. And it's not, it's not all only that scarce product. It's other stuff that might be from last year. You know, one of the, one of the things that the, the modern release calendar loses is the ability to do heritage storytelling around a catalog. So you take... Like the Jordan. Like you take a Jordan, right? Yeah. So a Jordan 1 comes out. It's marketed on its own. It's presented a certain way. It's not tied in with all of these other great... Jordan 1 stories that you could merchandise with. If you go to a, a traditional retailer looking for Jordan 1s, you're going to see whatever that one style is of the day. And to me, a, a huge part of where our, our retail creates something special is in being able to contextualize the new products with the old and show that entire catalog, item next to item, tell the story, explain to that newcomer in our store, say, hey, this is. This is the new Jordan 1 from, from this lineage. Here's what these different shoes mean. Here's why this one is special. You know, really crafting that, that brand story. And I think that's, I think that's one of the things that, that, that we've been able to do really well is 
finding new ways to kind of tell those stories and educate consumers when a lot of times younger people that are just learning about this for the first time, they don't, they don't know the, the history or the heritage or a lot of what goes into creating these products. Got it. Um, this is a competitive space now. You guys are not the only players yeah. going after this market. You know, just the other day, Foot Locker invested $100 million into GOAT. Yeah. Um, you know, Grailed, um, StockX, there's all these players. Like, how do you see stadium goods fitting into this, this market? You know, so, so in my mind, first off, it's a massive market. I think, I think that earlier estimates, people that had tried to set a value to this market really underestimated it for a bunch of reasons. And in my mind, not only is it growing at an incredible pace, but the way that consumers, comfort level has changed in terms of buying product from the aftermarket. I see that as, as, as sort of like the retail e-commerce shift from like people getting more comfortable with shopping online versus traditional brick and mortar retail. I think consumers now more than ever are more confident shopping from aftermarket players than ever before. And that's gonna to continue to grow. Um, so in my mind, what, one of the things that's really interesting is as the market has developed and as a lot of these different players have, have evolved, in my mind it creates a much clearer segmentation and a lot of opportunity for for all of the players. Like it's not going to be a one player game. There's always going to be more than one player and it's going to be more clearly defined in terms of what each player offers. For, so how does your model differ? So our model is premium retail, premium aesthetics, fast e-commerce shipping. We've pre-authenticated everything. We're holding it. We can deliver it as fast as possible. Um, really building our fundamentals around how traditional luxury e-commerce consumers see business value proposition. So when someone comes in our store, they can, they can get it, they know what they're getting, they, they can get it delivered to them with, with incredible speed. International cross-border is, is a huge part. Um, and, and we're going to continue to sort of double down on that, both in terms of aesthetics and editorial, but also making sure that our logistics can, can really deliver against that promise. Um, so that, that's, that's, for me, that's a huge differentiator because everything is, is sitting with us and ready to ship. It's, it's, not, it's, it's kind of like taking a marketplace model and applying it to traditional retail, a traditional branded experience. Okay. Um, so tell me about Farfetch. How did you first meet them? I mean, you, you, in, in the first instance, it was more of a partnership than yeah. an acquisition. So, yeah, we got, we got introduced to them. Um, it was, I'm going to be, I'm going to get the times wrong. I'm horrible with time. <laughs> um, I, so I think it was, it, was, uh, it was probably late 2017. We got introduced to them and had a really, really epic meeting uh, with Jose at the time and, and a guy named Jeffrey Fowler who runs North America for Farfetch. And we, we talked for hours and, 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 and really really saw some, some incredible synergies, and, and both in terms of model, but um, also what was happening in the market. It was, just, it was just a really great meeting of the minds. And from there, super clear action items coming out of that were that we, we needed to partner and, and find a way to get Stadium Goods product live on Farfetch because our models were very synergistic. Um, and so that, that led to us launching in April of 2018 on Farfetch as a platform, and, and we saw some, some great success uh, very early on. So I, that, that was a big part of, I think, what paved the way for us. So why, 
why sell out now? The market's growing, you're super bullish, there's all this opportunity. You know, that decision for an entrepreneur, you and Jed in this case, to make the decision to, to exit now versus get the big paycheck or cash out later, what, was, what were the driving factors in that decision? You know, a lot of it really came down to how the next round of partnership was teed up. The, 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 a lot of the same synergies that I mentioned, things that we saw in terms of alignment. You know, Jed, Jed and I are serial entrepreneurs. We've, we've started a bunch of different businesses in different ways. We've covered a lot of ground. And I, I think seeing that in spirit with Farfetch that we were very similar, that was, that was a big part of it. Knowing that we had um, creative control, that we were gonna be able to continue doubling down on what we wanna build. Like this is, this is the new beginning for us. And like it's, we have a second wind, we're, we're reinvigorated. And I think a, a lot of it is, is the excitement of what's to come under this new paradigm. Right. You know, a lot of people like, so when you start a company, you don't really have any idea where it's going to go. You have a vision for, for what you think is going to come out the other side. You, ha- you don't know the battles that you're going to fight. You don't know the ground that you're going to cover. It can, it can go a lot of different ways. And I think having, having fought through these early years of, of stadium goods and really gotten to a good place, now what excites us is taking it to the next level in terms of scale and, 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 and tapping into a larger ecosystem. Um, so I, I think that, that coupled with a lot of the, the values and the people and the relationships that we had created really just made for a perfect storm in our case. So how big, how big do you think this resale business can be? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 don't like to, I don't like to speak too much to numbers, but I, I, see, I see this is very early days okay. for aftermarket across, if, if, whether it's sneakers, streetwear, whether it's fashion, whether it's new versus used, the way that people consume aftermarket products, this is still in, in many ways day one in my mind. And there's a ton of shift left to take place. And, and that's, that's not just domestic, but that's, it's a very globalized value proposition. So I, I think there's going to be a decade plus of, of fun things to come in our space okay. well, as, as things are shifting around. Well, on that note, it sounds like there's a lot more to come from Stadium Goods. These aren't two guys that are gonna check out after the exit. Oh, we were, Monday after, we were right there, All right. doing our thing, yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll look forward to seeing how things play out. Thank you, John, for uh, taking the time to chat. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for and, stopping uh, by. This, yeah, it's been great talking to you. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. I'm signing off from a very snowy Howard Street in New York during Fashion Week. Can't wait to get back to to springtime in London, but um, (laughs) it's been a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you too, man. Thanks. Thanks. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might be interested in BOF Professional, our global membership community from the Business of Fashion. BOF Professional members receive unlimited access to all of our articles, daily members-only analysis, the BOF Professional iPhone app, biannual print issues, and all of our online education courses as part of your membership. For a limited time only, we are offering BOF Podcast listeners an exclusive discount on an annual BOF Professional membership. To get 25% off of your first year, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special invitation code PODCAST2019 at the checkout. We hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to tell your friends.
You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.